This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. There's no question about it. In fact, I've had teams uh, that I've spoken with have talked about Strom and, and talked about how he could be a guy they'd be looking at because there are a number of teams, I think, the, the Cubs, the Astros, the Yankees all fit this category, who when they add a starting pitcher before the trade deadline, they want to not trade for rental, someone who's a free agent at the end of the year, but they'd rather focus on a controllable starter. The voice of Buster Olney. ESPN Baseball Insider guesting earlier today on Naylor and Landsberg throwing out the name Marcus Stroman. Last night's starter in another Blue Jays loss as a potential trade target for other teams. But would the Blue Jays deal from a position of strength? A guy that they control, a guy that's well-liked, and quite frankly, the best of their five starting pitchers right now. Would they actually go that route to blowing this entire sucker off We're up where no one's untouchable? Gareth Wheeler with you. This is Toronto Today. What's up, Toronto? High of 26 today, beautiful day in and around and across the GTA. Coming up later this hour, we're going to talk some Raptors basketball. What's better? A player taking less money on a contract or a player taking less term? Kevin Durant, less money. Lowry Ibaka, less term. Seems like a win for both organizations. We'll have that conversation with Eric Kareen. Uh, but we'll stick with the Blue Jays for now. They take on the New York Yankees in about an hour's time from the Bronx, trying to end this five-game slide. It's been downright ugly against the Red Sox and last night against the New York Yankees. But just... Listen to this Blue Jays lineup from last night. So starting a quote-unquote crucial series against the Yankees, here's who they rolled out. Jose Bautista. We know what he is and, more importantly, is not at this latter stage of his career. He's batting leadoff. Josh Donaldson's struggling a lot. But generally, Josh Donaldson, an everyday player, you book him in. Justin Smoke, outstanding best player on the team this year. Batting of the three-hole, first baseman, get it. Kendrys Morales is really cooled down. He's batting cleanup. Then you got Steve Pierce, Ezekiel Carrera, Darwin Barney, Ryan Gones, and Lee Malley. Are you like Maley? Are you kidding me? How is that team supposed to compete against the New York Yankees? And in being dead serious here, this team has lost a couple players, some big name players like Martin, like Tulo. Just don't produce for what they get paid. And you just wonder, all this hype around the Blue Jays to begin the season, was it completely and totally misplaced? And now as they move forward and we discuss, well, are they buyers or sellers, isn't it quite obvious? Isn't where the conversation's at right now is how deep you cut into this team and whether it includes or could include a player like Marcus Stroman. Gregor Chisholm's in New York covering this Jays-Yankees series. Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com at Gregor MLB, and he joins me on the line right now. Can you see this group, this management team, just completely blowing this entire roster up and looking totally towards the future sooner rather than later, Gregor? Well, I, I think the one thing that they did need over the last couple of weeks was to gain some some kind of clarity one way or the other. I think that the most dangerous spot for this team was to be kind of stuck in a bit of a middle ground. And, uh, you know, obviously the Blue Jays wanted to make a run 
uh, to the top, and that clearly isn't happening right now. But they are getting some sort of clarity on, on where things stand right now. And the farther they fall out of this thing and, and the long, deeper this season goes, I mean, it certainly seems like all, all signs are pointing to them eventually becoming sellers. I mean, I just don't see how it can really go any other way. And, uh, you know, especially for the guys who are pending free agents, I would be surprised if they do something with a guy like Stroman. Uh, but there certainly are guys that they need to take care of. They need to figure out what's going on with Marco Estrada, uh, Francisco Lariano, Joe Smith in the bullpen. There's a lot of pending free agents on this team that I think they need to take care of first and foremost. And you're not going to get a top return on that because as Buster touched on in your piece uh you, you know guys just aren't going to be willing to pay what it takes to, to get a rental for for three months but i still think that has to be the priority because you'd rather get something for them and, and instead of nothing and then i think the other one to keep an eye on could possibly be jay hap because he's a guy who yeah. does have that extra year of control uh and could net you a pretty nice return as well and he's one of the guys who's pitching well right now i mean strata we've seen what he can do over the last few years but uh he's coming off one of the worst months of his career before he is able to rebuild any kind of value, he's going to need to string together a, a few good starts, whereas Hap is a guy right now who would certainly have uh, an awful lot of value across the league, especially with that extra year of, uh, on his contract. And, and you use the word value, it, and that's what it's all about. Like, you can try to try and trade Tulo, you can try to trade Russell Martin. No one's taking those contracts unless you take, take back something horrible in return. I mean, two players <laughs> making $20 million per for the foreseeable future that can't produce, those contracts are big time problems so then you start looking down this roster who could bring you value and I wrote down four names I wrote down Smoke I wrote down Donaldson I wrote down Stroman and I wrote down Asuna are any of those four players potentially would any of those four players potentially be made available so you get back a bigger or a greater haul I still think if they're going to make a big deal with someone like you know, Suna or someone like Stroman, I think that would be more likely to happen in the offseason. I just don't see the Jays making that type of move uh, midseason. I think those, those type of guys would be guys you'd be looking for players who are a little bit closer to the big leagues or who are already there and contending teams are going to be very hesitant uh, to give up something like that right now. Uh, but I think you still have to listen. I mean, you absolutely, you're in a position where I think you're taking calls from every single team in this league uh, who's looking to add pieces because, uh, you know, there's a lot of parity across baseball right now. There's not going to be a lot of sellers at the trade deadline. Uh, and the Blue Jays should have, if they end up going that route, they should have a little bit of leverage to work from. And they've got a lot of really nice pieces in terms of guys like Osuna, guys like Stroman. Uh, those are the people that, uh, you know, that other teams are going to want. But if I'm the Jays, I'm still pushing the priority to get the guys that you need to get taken care of first. I, w- I would still have the dialogue and see what you can get. Uh, but to me, uh, you still need to address the other issues. And I, th- I think the other one, uh, you know, it's kind of the, you know, the elephant in the room is th- the Jays are going to have to decide what they're going to do with Josh Donaldson. If they're going to make a serious run at signing him to a contract extension. And if they're not, then now I think would be the time that you have to explore those trade talks. You know, I've, I've heard some people talk about how you could possibly get more for him in the offseason. I don't think that's true. I think the, the value, you know, if he, if he can remain healthy for the next couple of weeks, I think his value is going to be better this year uh, because he'll have that year and a half uh, on his contract as opposed to this offseason where he's going to become uh, an expiring contract. That, that to me, is someone you have to 
uh, kind of figure out what your plans are before you move on to guys like Stroman and Osuna. I, I think the writing's on the wall about Donaldson, isn't it? All I hear is Vlad Guerrero Jr., Vlad Guerrero Jr., an up-and-coming third baseman. You cannot afford to sign Donaldson to a long-term contract if your plan is to bring him up with a lot of promising other prospects within this organization. That's why I think like Donaldson... He's going to be one foot out the door, but the names like Stroman and Asuna, two guys who are controllable, uh, I mean, pitching comes at a premium. Those are guys that I would be more surprised if they dangled just because they're under team control, they're yours, and they're both very good. It's true. Now, the, the interesting counterpoint to that is if the Jays were to go ahead and kind of blow this thing up, uh, I mean, it's, it's be hard-pressed to think that they could do a type of rebuild that's all of a sudden going to get them right back into contention next year if they're going to move some pieces. And so if they move some of the secondary pieces and if they move on from a a guy like Donaldson and try to get a package there, you're looking at a a rebuild even on a short term that you're you're fine with a couple years. And and at at the very least, you would think. Uh, And and Marcus Stroman's a guy who after this year is under control for three three more years. Do you really want to just hang on to him uh, for the sake of that third year when the Blue Jays are trying to get back into the playoff mix, or do you want to maximize the value and get something in return and get some core pieces for him beforehand? I mean, it, it, that's why I think you do have to look at it. And the, the Jays need to come up with uh, a plan where they expect to be over the next two years and really kind of take a hard, close look at that because uh, if they are going to go young, uh, then you certainly could make the case that some of these uh, guys on really nice, controllable deals – uh, should be looked at uh, to be traded. I, I just still don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to prioritize the other guys. I think that this offseason would be the time to do it. Um, but, you know, Atkins and Shapiro and those guys are going to have to come up with a plan, not only for this year, but they need to figure out what they're going to do in 2018 and yeah. how quickly they expect to, to put a, a competitive team back on the field. I'm with you. Gregor Chisholm, MLB.com, Blue Jays reporter, guesting here on Toronto Today. I am your boy, Wheels. Um, the Blue Jays, at, at least... As you started to say at the beginning of the uh, of the interview here, it should be crystal clear where the Blue Jays are at. Like, there's no coming back from this. They need to jump over eight teams, eight to get into a wild card spot. Good luck. They're closer to being the worst team in the American League East or the American League, I should say, than being in contention for a wild card spot. So, although it's five games, there is a gulf between you and the playoffs. So now the conversation goes to well, who gets traded, as well as blisters. You were there last <laughs> night where Marcus Stroman claimed that blisters are now an epidemic across the game of baseball. Maybe you can kind of explain where this came about and what exactly he's talking about. Well, it, it was a strange one. Uh, you know, I had, to, I had to suppress a little smirk in that scrum because it, it, was, it was just a very weird comment to make. Now, that being said, I have heard from, from other pitchers uh, this year. I mean, the balls have slightly changed this year. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the, the juice baseballs this year, but in terms of a, a pitcher standpoint as well, I think the seams are a little bit different from what I've heard. They're a little bit lower. Um, than, than baseballs in the past. And this is the first time I, I've heard a player come out uh, that strongly and make those type of comments. I certainly don't think it's a, a, an epidemic. I can't agree with Stroman on that. There hasn't been enough guys to really consider that. But clearly it, he was trying to find some blame somewhere. And, and you know, he, he saw Sanchez go down 
and, and the Jays only have had five starts from him because of that issue. But Sanchez has dealt with blister issues in the past, even with the old baseball. I mean, that's something he dealt with last year, so I, I don't think that's an issue. Uh, but clearly, Stroman was very frustrated last night looking to point the finger at somebody, and he, he pointed the finger at Major League Baseball, saying that they're turning a, a blind eye to uh, this issue around the baseballs that they're using right now. And it, it obviously caused this, him some problems last night. Uh, and it has been kind of a bit of a concern for some other pitchers out there. I, I just don't think uh, other pitchers have taken it quite as far as, as Stroman did last no, night. Like the word epidemic is strong. Like it's, it, <laughs> it, strong. it means that it's widespread. I, I think about the past, like this is nothing new. I remember watching Al Leiter in the city for years deal yeah. with blisters, yeah. right? And I was doing some research to see well, how many pitchers have succumbed to uh, blister issues this year. Of course, there's Aaron Sanchez. There's Taiwan Walker of the Diamondbacks. There's Justin Nicolino, a former Blue Jays prospect, uh, now with Miami. Yep. I believe there's one or two others. I think David Price has dealt with a couple blisters recently as well, but I don't know if that constitutes an epidemic. Something worth looking into, but it just comes across more so as sour grapes when you're not only doing that after a loss, but you conveniently bring up this topic while you're in New York as well. The mecca where it's going to get the most attention possible, right? Like the The timing of it just seemed really weird. I completely agree, and he, and he was asked to elaborate a couple of different times last night on exactly what he meant, and he decided to remain cryptic and, and continue to say, you know, I'm saying it's not a coincidence. I'm saying it's not a coincidence. So he, he clearly was trying to insinuate that there's some kind of conspiracy out there, and that is obviously not the case. And, and, and you know, Rich Hill's another guy who's had blister issues this year, and, and he's dealt with them in the past. Right. I mean, a lot of the guys who have had them this year have had them before. Just Stroman is a guy who uh, it, it's popping up. Uh, for the first time. And, uh, you know, we, the dangerous thing about these blisters is that, you know, it, it seems like a very minor injury in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but, you know, Al Leiter back in the day with the Blue Jays missed so much time with that. Looked like his career was never going to get off to, uh, on the right foot. Um, you know, we've seen what happened to Sanchez this year. It, it's a tricky thing, and it's going to be interesting to see later this week whether Stroman's actually able to pitch. He seems to think he's going to take them out on Saturday against uh, Houston. Wouldn't be surprised at all if that ends up not being the case. Uh, and that they push him back until at least the all-star break because these things, unfortunately, do take some time to heal, uh, and he's gonna, he might need some time. Wouldn't it be stupid if he does go out there? Like, he sees what happened with his teammate Aaron Sanchez. Like, does he really want to go down yeah. the same road? <laughs> like, yeah. like, wouldn't yeah. the organization have to pull rank here and say, look, see your buddy or your old friend over there, Aaron Sanchez, you might not want to go down the same path. Yeah, exactly. And, it's the, and the thing is, is it, it can start to heal up a little bit. Uh, but when you when you haven't built up that callus again on your finger and that that uh, skin on on your middle finger is so still so tender, uh, you can go just everything can look fine until you take the mound. And then the next thing you know, you rip it open again. And, uh, you know, the first or second inning and, and suddenly you're facing another long road to recovery. I mean, Aaron Sanchez never in a million years thought he'd be missing this much time with a blister and clearly the Blue Jays made some mistakes along the way by bringing him back a little bit early twice and here we are at the start of June he's made five starts so uh, I think there is a lesson to be learned from that I don't think Strowman's was as serious as, as Sanchez's was it wasn't bursting out with blood like Sanchez's was earlier in the year but still uh, it, it's something that they're going to have to keep an eye on and, and uh, if anything this team needs there on the side of caution especially after what they went through earlier this year. It's Blue Jays Yankees first pitch at 105 this afternoon Jay Happ taking on carbs and calories himself CC Sabathia that Blue Jays lineup I started off last night like that was horrible Gregor like you're, you're throwing out that lineup on a game that 
I, I guess, is supposed to matter. Does the lineup look any different or any better today? The regulars are back in there. Uh, you know, Pilar's playing, Sulewitzki's playing. Uh, but I think this is a sign of the age of this team. Uh, you know, it, it, John Gibbons said before yesterday's game that he has a responsibility to do right by his players as well. And he's looking at guys like uh, Troy Tulowitzki and, and even Josh Donaldson since coming off the DL, who they're, they're clearly not still at 100%. They're trying to play through some stuff, and it's um, clearly hampering their performance on the field. And, and in terms of Tulo, he's, he's a guy who needs a lot more time off than he used to early in his career, and, and that's a concern. And uh, you look at Kevin Pillar, certainly not one of the older guys on the team, uh, but someone who's used to taking the field every single day, and we've seen him uh, take a beating out in center field, and, and he's he's been worn down as well. And so, uh, you know, when you talk about a team that entered the year as the oldest team in baseball, I don't think it should be a, a big surprise that the Jays really have to take a close look at uh, and monitor the, the workload of this team, uh, and that's where the lack of options on the bench uh, become an even bigger concern um, because when those guys new, do need a day off, I mean, we've seen that spring training lineup uh, quite a few times this year. Usually it was because of injuries, but now we're seeing it uh, every now and then because of the need for rest, too. Good stuff, Gregor. Enjoy today's ball game. Always appreciate you stopping by at Gregor. MLB on Twitter. Go to MLB.com for all of his Blue Jays coverage as well. Thanks for this, pal. We'll do it again soon. No problem. Anytime. Shit. The Blue Jays were a, a really fun two- or three-year party in the city, wasn't it? Like, they were hype. They brought people back out to the ball, ball yard. It was a ton of fun, great crowds, great vibe, great team. But the party's over. Like, it has struck midnight, Cinderella. This team has turned into a pumpkin. They are, and, and, and they need to be blown up. And part of it's on the front office. And I'll stick with the current group. We all knew heading into the season they didn't have a backup catcher. Well, now they do here on... July 4th, I guess, with Miguel Montero coming to town because he had to snap on Jake Arietta for him to get his kind of be designated for assignment. So he finally addressed the backup catcher position. Left field, I mean, you, I, your uncle, your mother, your cousin, we all knew that the Blue Jays needed a left fielder entering the season. Well, that wasn't addressed. First base, they have. Honestly, they got lucky. Justin Smoke entering the season had the worst batting average of any first baseman on record in Major League Baseball history. Having, I, I forget how many at bats, but the minimum requirement of at of bats to make one's overall stats show in base, on uh, baseball reference. But Smoke has been great. Where would the team be without Justin Smoke? Who was saying that three months ago? Nobody. Nobody. Without Justin Smoke, they they were lost. They didn't bring in more pitching depth, even though they remained incredibly healthy over the last two years. They lose pitchers. Guess what? You're going to be in trouble because they didn't address the depth. And the front office played chicken with Edwin. They lost. They played chicken with Jose. And they lost because they ended up bringing a guy back that they didn't want back in the first place. So the front office has played their role, but I I firmly believe the biggest reason for this Blue Jays' demise is players not living up to their contracts. Whether it be Bautista, fine. I'm looking at Tulowitzki. I mean, this guy only takes minimal heat. People love their Tulo. 
And I just don't get it. It's one of those cases, and this is what I was bringing up with Patty Marlowe. Like, let's not just fall in love with a name because it's a name. Let's see what they can produce. Let's see the production. And Troy Tulowitzki has not been good. He's been a bottom third shortstop, statistically, in the American League all season long. Yeah, he battled through injury. He's never been able to replicate anything that resembles Colorado Troy. Nothing like it. This guy makes $20 million for a team with payroll parameters. That doesn't work. Devin Travis can't stay healthy. Fine. I feel bad for the guy, but you know that coming into the year. You know what you're dealing with. And Russell Martin. We all love Russell Martin. How many times have you been told what a great job he does calling games? He can't hit. $20 million is just far too much given to far too little production. And the outfield... I don't think there's any doubt the Blue Jays have the worst outfield in all the Major League Baseball, yet some people still try to convince themselves that this team has it in the reserves to go on a run and compete for a wildcard spot. You have got to be kidding me. It ain't going to happen. The party's over with this team, and it's for a number of different reasons, not just one. Blame doesn't just go in one spot. It goes to multiple spots, but this team's going to be torn down, and Donaldson's got to go. Like, as much as that sucks to say, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 18 years old, third-base prospect. You'll see him in the prospects game over the course of the weekend. I mean, this guy, by all accounts, is the real deal. If you have him coming up, if you have Bichette coming up, who's a shortstop, well, that tells you where you want to kind of open up space for first. You want to create stop gaps or find stop gap options in those positions and then usher in the new era. So it's going to be a process here. I don't think this is going to be like a an easy rebuild by any stretch of the imagination. This is going to take time, four or five years, to get this organization back on track. They got old quick. It happens. Oh, but according to my Twitter feed right now, never question age because age doesn't matter and I shouldn't question a 38-year-old Patrick Marlowe. Okay. Okay. You can't have it both ways. It works like that for the Toronto Raptors as well. The Raptors are applauded because they give a 31-year-old Kyle Lowry a three-year deal, not a four or five. Widely applauded. Why? Because you don't want to give that much money to a player that's aging. He's 31! (laughs) It's funny how we pick and choose based upon what our arguments are going to be. I wanted to touch on Jeannie Bouchard really quickly. Uh, We were actually joking around on the program yesterday. Like, well, how's Jeannie going to do this year at Wimbledon? And I, I firmly on air said, I think she's going to do good. She's, she's a finalist in the past. I know she's dealt with some injury, but I believe in you, Jeannie. This is your time. Lavery behind the glass was like, eh, no chance, Lance. Well, Jeannie, and during the show, I look up, wins the first set of her first round match 6-1. I get home, and she lost... The next two sets, 6-1, 6-1. What? What the? How, how, how does that happen? And for the ninth time this year, this, this year, Jeannie Bouchard is eliminated in the first round of a tennis tournament. And, and then Mark Masters chats with Jeannie afterwards, and, and Mark asked the question that we were all wondering, well, what happened after the first set? 
I started how I wanted to, and um, I felt myself get really nervous in the second set, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to win uh, so much. She obviously raised her love a little bit, and I just, um, I suddenly felt my game get really thrown off. Um, so I was pretty disappointed in myself for that. Nervous? Nervous! This is a player who's played a grand slam finals before. Nervous? She's not nervous getting in front of the camera, posting on Instagram, modeling pictures of her doing everything, or in a bikini, but she's nervous, like, out there doing what she loves to do, something she should be really good at. Jeannie has lost the plot. And I think we've come to a point with Jeannie Bouchard where we say, is Jeannie a pop culture icon and a model, or is she a tennis player? Like, the comparable is Anna Kornikova, but Kornikova over years at least stayed in the top 20. Jeannie's, like, gone somewhere else. And we follow and we look at different athletes and individuals and what they do on Instagram. Jeannie's all about modeling photos and promoting stuff. This is what she's about now. She's a businesswoman. Jeannie Bouchard's brand, honestly now, has less to do with tennis than it does about her looks. And I just wonder when we just stop caring. Like, as sports fans, that's what we are. People that listen to sports talk radio, we like athletics. Winning versus losing. The thrill of competition. That's why we're in this. I just don't get the sense that's what Jeannie's all about. Jeannie Bouchard is about self-promotion, about being a public figure, about being a big deal. Which is fine, but just don't tell me or don't ask me to take you seriously on the tennis court. That's where we are right now. And it's different than with Jeannie. I mean, organizations in men's sport, they trade away those players that believe their their attention is is put too much towards this end of things. Like, I don't want to get into the P.K. Subban argument, but it's not just female athletes that do this. But I firmly believe by, by Jeannie looking and appearing to making the priority everything but tennis... That hurts women's sport. It really does. Like, don't ask me to take Jeannie Bouchard seriously when she's nowhere near good enough to play. If we really want to take women's sports seriously, we'll recognize, like, Petra Kvitova coming back from an intruder coming into her hand, her house, slicing her hand, and this road to recovery, which has been sensational. No one talks about Kvitova. No one talks about the great tennis players in the women's game now. You talk about Jeannie Bouchard because she's attractive and she promotes herself. She has 1.5 million followers on Instagram. I just, I, I just, I have a real problem with taking Jeannie Bouchard, the athlete, seriously right now. You can consume her, get a YouTube page, you can watch her, you can follow her on Instagram or Snapchat. I get that, but in terms of what's happening on the court, no, thank you. I'm not having it until she takes it seriously. When she shows that she's taken seriously, then maybe we will as well. The text is 105050, the email live at tsn1050.ca, at WheelerTSN on Twitter. We turn our attention to the Toronto Raptors. Lowry, Abaka coming back, and they gave the Raptors the gift. The gift in terms of their length of contract. How important was this? Eric Kareen from the Athletic Toronto will check into the program next. I am Gareth Wheeler, and this is Toronto Today, TSN 1050.
the perfect song to play right now. The Nathan's Famous 4th of July Hot Dog Eating Contest is about to go down. They're introducing the contestants, the shameless individuals willing to just now down on all these hot dogs. This one guy, the first guy that entered the stage, he is 6'2", 146 pounds. And he's going to compete with the big boys? And get this, you'll never guess. His profession, the guy that's about to enter the hot dog eating contest and do probably irreparable damage to his body, he's a dietitian slash nutritionist. What? And you're in a you're in a hot dog eating contest? Who's going to that guy? Imagine that saying, oh, there's my doctor trying to wolf down 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. Incredible. I'm sure you'll be able to see all the highlights. These individuals in all of their glory tonight on Sports Center. Welcome to Toronto today. Garrett Wheeler with you. The basketball world is still a buzz with so much movement, trades, big-name signings, and sacrifices that some players have made. For example, a lot of people excited that the Raptors are bringing back Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. And the cherry on top is the fact that they took less term. Three years. Lowry didn't hold the Raptors hostage, getting that extra fourth or fifth year to his contract. And this is seen as being a win for a 31-year-old point guard for the Raptors. Meanwhile, Kevin Durant's now being applauded for reportedly signing a two-year extension for $53 million. That's at least $10 million less than he was expected to sign for. So in this modern-day climate of the NBA, can we look at one being better than the other? A player sacrificing term or a player sacrificing dollars? What is more valuable to a team? Eric Kareen, outstanding basketball writer for the Athletic Toronto, joins me right here on Toronto today. Can you look at one compared to the other, Eric, in terms of taking less term or less money, or can both be beneficial depending on the situation? Yeah, I don't think you can go uh, with an either-or scenario here because it completely depends on the context of the team. I mean, Kevin Durant signs a two-year deal with a, with a player option for the second year worth $53 million. So theoretically, he got, you know, he gave the Warriors a cash break and a term break, but everybody knows he's coming back at whatever price he wants to be coming back at next year or the year after should he opt in. Uh, at the same time, uh, the Raptors being able to sign all of their uh, free agents or, or two of their free agents, I should say, to three-year deals uh, gives them a very set end date or a pivot date, uh, and that helps them plan towards the future, not that they don't have uh, their own very significant issues uh, with the luxury tax to deal with right now. So uh, ultimately, both are important. Uh, I'd be wary about you know, applauding the selflessness of uh, <laughs> any of any of them, uh, the teams or the players, because I think, you know, first of all, the players are, you know, as a whole, the players get 50% of the revenues, regardless of how much of that goes to Kevin Durant or how much of it doesn't. Right. Um, and uh, it's just, you know, it depends on their situation. Lowry 
you know, maybe didn't have the market to get the deal that he ended up getting thanks to things we can talk about or not talk about. But the Raptors decided to pay him based on what he's done for the franchise. And at 31, uh, this is probably his last huge contract, and he had every right to try and get as many dollars out of that, even as the market for him shrunk. Sure. $165 million for those two players over the next three years. I mean, that's a lot of money, but a lot of money's being thrown around the NBA. But it's being painted as a win for the Raptors, the fact that they only signed those three-year contracts. Perhaps you could explain to our listeners why that's so significant for this franchise and why they'd be willing to spend more money over the short term to have more long-term flexibility. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, they groove with uh, the the deal that DeMar DeRozan signed last year, which uh, technically takes him a year longer uh, than, than Lowry and Ibaka uh, they would take him into, I believe, what, uh, it's hard to remember what year it is, but I think it would take him into the 2020-21 season, but DeRozan has a player option for that year, so he could technically opt out the same year that Lowry and Ibaka would again become free agents. So it's valuable in that all of the Raptors' long-term commitments would seem to be coming off the books at the same time, which would allow them to tank or to have room under the cap to go spend on new players potentially uh, at that time. Uh, At the same time, um, it gives them the possibility of, uh, since the salary cap does not, we had the one-year spike last year thanks to the new national television deal, it's not going up at that rate anymore. In fact, it went up far less than original projections had it going up this year, which has put a bunch of teams, including the Raptors, in a cap or a tax crunch. Uh, so that means that expiring contracts like Lowry and Ibaka's will be, in two years' time, uh, might be more valuable in trades than they used to be, uh, or than they've been in the past few years when the luxury tax and the, and the salary cap have been going up astronomically. So not only does it set them up to wipe the slate clean in three years, it maybe gives them more flexibility in two years when those when those contracts have value as teams, other teams look to set themselves up to create tap room or create um, space to uh, to chase other free agents. Right. So no, not going into the fourth or the fifth year is massive for the Raptors, and thankfully for their perspective, there just wasn't a market for Kyle Lowry, as it turns out, to go into a fourth or fifth year. All the teams that needed point guards and were winning teams, either drafted point guards, traded for point guards, or decided to use their uh, money on different point guards and, and give themselves a bit more flexibility to spend elsewhere like the Minnesota Timberwolves. So that ma- that makes sense. As Eric Kareen from The Athletic joins us here in Toronto today, I am Gareth Wheeler, at E. Kareen on Twitter. So the, the, the term works for the Raptors. What about taking less money, like Kevin Durant is? Will that be the new expectation that for teams that actually are in it to win it, that players will sacrifice a little bit for the greater good? Should that be the expectation in determining what's a good and what's a bad contract? Well, I don't, I mean, starting with your second question first, I don't think it should be. Uh, players are what drive revenue. It's not owners. 
Um, I know they take the financial risk when they buy franchises, but, you know, this league is nothing without your Kevin Durant and LeBron James and Chris Pauls, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I think if they want to make as much money as they can under the collectively bargained agreement, they should. Uh, we, you can remember when, you know, the big three formed in Miami, all three of them took less than they, they could have commanded in order to play together. And after that, LeBron James said, no, I'm the best player in the world. I should be setting the standard for what players can make. And I don't think anybody really has the right to criticize him for that. Uh, whether it will or not is a different question, and I think that's something we'll only figure out with time. Um, again, uh, I think, you know, players are, are what drive, drive revenue. Right, but, but the fa- and, the f- and teams need to be able to figure that out. The like fans this. at the end of the day, though, will say, okay, you're, you're making north of $20 million. That's a lot of money for anyone. If you actually care about winning a championship, then why aren't you taking less money so the team can add more really good players to the mix? That, like that, that's what the fan will say, right? Why, why can't every player make like Kevin Durant and give his own team flexibility by giving a discount? And that's a natural response, and I see the validity in that, but... You know, let's look at Kevin Durant's circumstances, right? He's, I don't have his age in front of me. I think he's 28. Uh, he's on a one-year contract. He's going to be able to cash in whenever he chooses, barring a catastrophic injury. So that's one thing. Second thing is Kevin Durant makes a hell of a lot more endorsement money than Kyle Lowry, than any of, like, the, you know, non-LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry stars in this league. Uh, so he has ways of supplementing his income that most of the players in this league do not. Um, now, Lowry went into free agency uh, after the Raptors season ended and said, I want to win. That is my main goal. Um, now, you always take these comments with a grain of salt because you realize that when he says he wants to win, he means he wants to win and he would like to be paid a lot of money. But, um, you know, if he truly wanted to win, should he have said, you know what, I'll just take three years and $26 million per season rather than three years and $33 million per season or whatever the number ends up being based on the incentives? Maybe. But, again, here's a 31-year year old point guard who three weeks before free agency thought he was in line for a you know a four year one hundred and fifty million dollar contract from another team right or a five year one hundred and eighty million dollar contract from the Raptors maybe uh, they could have offered him up to two hundred and one million dollars over five years, which never seemed realistic, regardless so in his mind he's already taken that haircut, you know. So I think each situation is different uh, beyond the fact that Lowry taking $27 million versus $33 million per year really wouldn't have functionally helped the Raptors in, in much okay. of any sense. But uh, we, we can leave the details for that. Sure. Let, let's get to this. Let's end on this here. Okay, considering what the Raptors have and the value that they got in those contracts, what is the next step that makes the most sense 
for this team, making sure their books are balanced as well as giving themselves the best chance possible to have a puncher's chance of contending in the Eastern Conference? It's a really tricky um, dynamic that Messiah Jerry is going to have to strike. And as I wrote a few days ago at The Athletic, he sort of has to do this thing, you know, this thing that had, you know, the New York Knicks reportedly like really wanting him, really wanting somebody like him. He has to make them cheaper while also making them competitive. Because as it stands, uh, they are way over the luxury tax, which is fine in and of itself, but that dramatically decreases the ways that they can spend money on other players. And they have redundancy at the center position. We saw last year that Ibaka is a much more effective player at center than he is at power forward. Uh, they have, you know, a prospect at point guard who's probably ready, in DeLon Wright, is probably ready to take over for Corey Joseph. So if you can shift two of, of, of the three of Valanchunas, Joseph, and Car- and Damari Carroll and open up that mid-level exception, which allows you to offer something like four years and $36 million if you want to. Uh, to a free agent, maybe get yourself some more shooting, some more versatility on the wing, uh, then maybe you've improved your team and you've certainly balanced out your roster. Uh, that's really hard to do because there just aren't that many teams with the salary cap room and the motivation to take those sorts of salaries in. So they're going to press Masai Ujiri to give up a first-round draft pick, maybe, in order to do that. And as you know, anybody who follows the Raptors knows Masai Ujiri is loath to give up that uh, first-round con- uh, first draft pick. No so kidding. It's going to be a fascinating window into, uh, into what he is willing to do, what MLC is willing to pay, and it's, uh, we're going to learn a lot about uh, the organization's priorities uh, in the next few weeks. But in a lot of ways, they are sort of in a holding pattern right now. They have to wait to see how those teams with cap room decide to operate before they can really do anything else. Good stuff, Eric. And we'll be following you over the over the course of the way to figure out where this thing ends up at eCareen on Twitter. Uh, Raptors writer for the Athletic Toronto. Give the site a view, a look, and Eric's work is well worth it. Thanks for this, Eric. Enjoy this Canadian version of Fourth of July we're having up here today. Thanks, Derek. Happy belated. Thank you, pal. Really appreciate it. Eric Kareen of The Athletic joining us here on the program. Coming up next, we're going to round out the show before we hand things off to Scotty Mack with our tribute to the 4th of July, America the Good. We say thank you to everything good that America has given us. And atop that list, well, you won't be surprised who it is. That's coming up next. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050. This was the best. Hulk Hogan coming down the aisle, giving high fives to everyone. The Can You Hear Me by the Ear ripping off the shirts. The 24-inch pythons. This was sane Hulk Hogan. This was America the Great quintessentially right here. Gareth Wheeler with you. This is Toronto Today. Generally on this program, we're going to focus on your teams, your city.
kind of the mantra. You can have your say on the big topics to do with Toronto sports. It's players. What's going on in and around the city. That's what we're going to be here for. But today's the 4th of July. So we're going a little bit off the rails. Paying tribute to America the good. Listen, our friends south of the border have been beat down on as of late. That Trump thing not really working out. Divided politics. Like, I don't need to get into everything. Kid Rock. Like, there's a lot of things out there that are produced in America. You give an absolute thumbs down. You we're are going fake the, news. Well, thank you. We're going the other way. And we're going America the good. We're going to pay tribute right here, right now, to all the great, not good, but great things that have come out of the U.S. of A. Let's do this, boys. And I'll bring Scrizzy and Laves into this as well. Thank you, America, for giving us Beyonce. No, like, Beyonce's a no-brainer. Quintessentially American as well. Where would we be without Queen B? Air conditioning. Air conditioning was invested in Buffalo, New York. Where would we all be without air conditioning? That's a great American invention. You can't go any further without mentioning apple pie. It's delicious warm. It's delicious cold. You can celebrate multiple occasions with apple pie. Good old AP. Baseball caps. Baseball hats. It's a style. It's a fashion thing. Both guys want the glass are wearing baseball caps right now. It's practical. Provides you some shade from that evil glowing orb that's above us. Baseball caps. What about spring break? Like, like reading week is very Canadian. Spring break done right. I'm talking Panama City. Spring break, one of the best American inventions. How about Bruce Springsteen? Who doesn't like Bruce? You know, like, Bruce is a no-brainer on my list. I'll even throw in a fictional character, Kenny Powers. Shout out to Kenny Powers, an amazing American character. The show Cheers, you got to mention. Toilet paper, which was invented in the U.S. Of course, I mean, if you don't have TP, you're in some real problems. Blue jeans, a.k.a. the modern fashion icon, jorts. Both equally acceptable in my book. Pearl Jam. Anything but hot dog eating contest, but the fact that Americans can do the hot dog eating contest today, that's pretty cool. Keg stands. Shout out to keg stands. Make every party better. Harley Davidson. I want to get a motorcycle real bad. I think I can pull off a bike. Shout out to Harley Davidson. Oreo cookies. Also American. Delicious. There is no better thing to dip into a cold glass of milk than Oreo cookies. Quality currency. I like all bills. No offense. I love Canada. Happy Canada 150. The coins? Loonies? Too, too much. Just give me bills. Boys behind the glass. What am I missing here? Do you got anything else to shout out to? Uh, the concept of barbecue in general. Oh, barbecue. Solid. What's your favorite edible on a barbecue? Or just the concept in general? The concept in general, but steak one, and then smoked salmon. Okay. Laves, you got anything else? I got laser tag. My favorite weekend activity. You play laser? I thought no, laser I tag went out about 20 years ago. Yeah, I went out at the same I, time. Isn't he too tall for laser tag? Yeah, you are I'm a big tar- tall, You can't hide. But I'm agile. Are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> so you're pretty much a sitting very large yeah, duck. I'm okay. for the people. I let them hit okay. me. Okay. Last, but certainly not least, 
Let's thank our neighbors to the south for AM34. Austin Matthews, our favorite American, the president of Toronto. Where would we be without you, Austin? Tell you what, wouldn't it have happened? Patty Marlowe, 6.25 per for three. Wouldn't have happened. But Austin Matthews, Americano numero uno. Austin Matthews, happy 4th of July. You are A-OK. One thing, I, by the way, I, I, I kept off the list. The USA chant. Is that thumbs up, thumbs down? You know, like you go to a sporting event, even if it's just a Canadian team playing, not American athletes, you know what I mean? People start chanting, USA, USA. Good or a bad thing? Yeah, a little bit of a bad thing, but I'll give a thumbs up to the anthem because that's probably the greatest anthem in the world. It's a great anthem. There's some pretty good ones, though. Um, I think it's all about the passion by which you deliver the anthem. And America's, you know, Americans, they sell it. I, I, I don't want to get into my, my negative American things, but Zumba pants, you know those pants where you can put the American flag on it or your favorite NFL team? That's horrible. That's maybe the worst American invention. Um, good stuff today on Toronto Today. We'll be here all summer long. There'll be a taste of Mike Hogan. Maybe we'll sprinkle of Andy McNamara. But we'll keep you entertained. We'll keep you active. And more importantly, keep you debating everything Toronto sports all summer long while our friends on Leafs Lunch are enjoying some well-deserved vacation. On the behalf of Sean Lavery, Scrizzy behind the glass, Scott Ferguson as well, I'm Gareth Wheeler. We'll all do this again tomorrow, Toronto. Enjoy your day.